Okay, we are stepping out of the Gospel of Luke this week. And speaking of that, I'm going to step out and grab my Bible. We'll be back in the Gospel of Luke on February 25th with a plan to finish our study in the Gospel of Luke before Easter. Easter, uh, by the way, is the last Sunday of March this year, March 31st, and the plan is to finish up the Gospel of Luke um, before we hit Easter. Next Sunday, um, the 18th, we'll be honored to have a gentleman named Zach Skoglin uh, be with us um, as the guest preacher at Prairie Hill. Um, I'll be at the men's retreat. And uh, Zach will be here uh, to fill in um, in my ab- absence. Uh, Zach is the associate director at Camp Shamanaw. Uh, so very good friend of the church, even if you haven't met him yet. Um, being the associate director at Camp Shamanaw means uh, that we have a close relationship with him just by virtue of that. Um, that is the free church camp here in Minnesota. So um, be sure and be here next week to give Zach and his family a warm welcome uh, to Prairie Hill. We're going to give our attention to another topic today. We're going to talk about um, what I think is a very interesting subject. We're going to talk about God's will, um, especially as related to uh, um, our own decision-making process and the many decisions that we have to make in life. Anyone got a big decision in front of them? You don't have to raise your hand. But um, if you're have something that you're thinking through now, um, a big decision on the horizon. I, I hope that this is a special blessing uh, to you and, and timely for you. Um, just by way of example of what I'm talking about, um, I have a friend who very recently was asked to, if he would consider picking up his young family, uh, he and his wife have a couple of young kids, actually three now, um, They lived in central Michigan at the time, and they were asked if they would consider uprooting their young family and moving over to Grand Rapids to help plant a church. The church that they were in, large church, wanted to plant in Grand Rapids, and they came to them and said, hey, would you guys consider going along and being part of the the church plant team? What an honor, right? But, hey, we've we've got jobs and family here, but... By virtue of being asked, does that mean that God wants us to go there? How do, you, how do you make a decision like that? What's your process? Um, I have someone else that I'm close to that recently was asked um, if they would step into a volunteer leadership role for a Christian organization here in the community. This organization needed help in a certain area and saw some gifts in this person and said, hey, would you be willing to come alongside and fill in some of these gaps that we need to fill? And, um, you know, it's going to require some sacrifice on the part of this person. They're going to have to give up some things in order to serve in that capacity, some things that they really enjoy. Yes, time, but also, you know, actually participating in the ministry itself and What do you do when you get in that situation? Like, by virtue of being asked, does that mean that this is what God wants me to do? Or could I potentially choose the wrong thing? Does God want me here, but what if I I choose this? Those are the kinds of things that I'm talking about. How do we really know what what God wants us to do? That can be very tricky. And um, you may have a decision in front of you right now that you're really... 
you're trying to honor God and get his input and want to do his will. But how do we know? What do we do? That, that's what we're talking about today. If you want to turn to John 14, this will be a, a place to start. Uh, we're going to be in um, several different passages of scripture. We're not going to turn to them all. But if you want to turn to John 14, verse 15, uh, that'll be a place to start. Um, here's the outline. Um, general outline for, for the message. Uh, first thing we're going to do is talk about some misconceptions related to God's will. What are some misconceptions we might have? Then we're going to talk about decision making from our perspective, from a human point of view. And then we're going to talk about decision making from God's point of view. We're going to say some, some biblical affirmations about decision making from our point of view and then God's point of view after we talk about some misconceptions. Okay? That's where we're headed. We're going to read um, three verses from John 14. Um, The reason we're in this passage is because it highlights the work of the Holy Spirit, which is really a a preview as to where we're going to land here in the role of the Holy Spirit, okay? So if you're able to stand this morning, I want to invite you to stand for the reading of the word, and then we'll ask for God's help, and, and we'll get into it. This is what we find at John 14, verse 15. This is part of the what we call the upper room discourse in Jesus' send-off message for his disciples. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I'm going to read that one more time. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Father, these are beautiful things, and we have big decisions to make. We want to honor you as your people. Help us Help us in these moments to develop a framework for godly decision-making that will please you. We come to you in faith, believing we've come to the right place, your word, which is living and active and guides us into all truth. So thank you. We can have great confidence that we can arrive in a good place. We're gathered around. We're excited to be in the word. We're thankful to be here. Our hearts are full. Bless us now with your presence and teaching. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, please be seated. Let's start with the misconceptions, okay? I've got two. I'm not saying that you have these misconceptions. I'm just saying that these are commonly held misconceptions regarding God's will, all right? So see if any of these sound familiar. First one, first misconception. The best sign that I'm in God's will is a sense of peace. Misconception number one I'm saying this is a misconception, okay? The best sign that I'm in God's will is a sense of peace, a peaceful feeling inside. This is, this is not going to be new teaching for you. You already know that feelings are rarely the best guide. Feelings are real and should be considered, but Scripture has to sit in judgment of feelings, right? Not the other way around. Our feelings can't sit in judgment of the Scriptures. Our feelings or the sense of peace that we may have. So think about, 
having this decision in front of you and then finding one where you have a sense of peace. That could be an indication that everything is well and that you should move forward, okay? That could be. But a feeling of peace can't be the overriding factor. The scriptures should have that role in your life. The scriptures are the the solid word of God. That's where we take our stand in the scriptures, not on a feeling that we have. If we let our feelings decide what we do, we'll, we'll eventually and probably really quickly go wrong if feelings are the thing that really guides us. Okay, so a sense of peace about a decision isn't necessarily the sign that you're in God's will. I'm not sure how much peace Abraham had in his heart as he made that walk up the mountain with Isaac. God said, go to Mount Moriah and there offer your son to me. I'm not sure how much peace Abraham had in his heart as he walked out that obedience. I'm not sure how much peace Jonah had in his heart as he preached in Nineveh. I see a guy carrying out what's been commanded of him. I don't know that he would have described his feeling in that preaching as this overwhelming sense of of peace. I don't know... I don't know how much peace Ananias. Remember Ananias in the New Testament, Acts 9, I think? He's the one that had the not enviable assignment of going to Saul of Tarsus, the one who was the enemy of the gospel at that time, or so he thought. And God said, I want you to go to Saul. I want you to be the one to walk into his presence and bring the good news to him. I don't know how much peace he had in his heart as he walked into that room to meet Saul for the first time. I don't know if any of them, any of those people I mentioned, would have said in that moment, I have an overwhelming sense of peace about this. But they were obedient. They were obedient to the voice of the Lord. And that's the point. Obedience trumps a feeling of peace. Remember that Jonah was sleeping in the boat. It was when he was in rebellion that he had peace. Right? Remember the story. His most peaceful moment, like when he could sleep through a storm, was when he was in rebellion. And I'm just saying that that could be you. You could be in rebellion and in perfect peace, the kind of peace that allows you to sleep through a storm. You may have peace in your heart and be doing exactly the opposite of God's will. That was true for Jonah. So make sure that the peace that you feel is a peace that's based on obedience to the word. That's misconception number one. The best sign that I'm in God's will is a sense of peace. Here's misconception number two. You may, you may have heard this before or been taught this before. I'm calling this misconception number two, that God's will is like a target. And that there's rings to God's will. There's a center of God's will for me and you. And our job is to find what's in the center. This is the the idea that we could be on the periphery doing stuff that God's kind of okay with. Or we could be a little closer to the center and doing things and making decisions that he finds a little bit better. Or we could be in the exact middle doing exactly what God wants us to be doing. 
I, I do hear Christians talk about that um, pretty frequently, but I just want to say that I don't find any biblical support for that point of view. I, I think where it comes from is a misunderstanding of what Paul wrote in Romans 12:2, the famous passage about in view of God's mercies, offer your body as a living sacrifice. Remember that beginning of Romans 12, and he goes on, be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God. Notice the language following this. By testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Hear those three terms? By testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So you can see how over time a certain a kind of reading or a kind of interpretation of that verse would lead you to believe that, okay, there's, a, there's an acceptable ring of God's will, like out here, that which is acceptable. And then there's a good, which is a little bit closer to the middle, so I could choose something that's good, that's better than acceptable, right? But then there's like the perfect and, and I want to be in the, in the perfect. That's the bullseye. And so Romans 12.2 can be used as a kind of hierarchy for decision making. And if you hold that point of view, you usually see it as your responsibility to locate what's in the middle, what the perfect. And just think about the pressure that comes with that. Like, how do you decide between that middle ring and the center ring? Like, in what's on the outer ring? Like, how do you... That, can, that brings a lot of pressure with it. And we don't want to mess up and throw the dart into the wrong ring and be out of God's perfect will, okay? Now, I just want to say that I'm, I'm convinced that that's a misreading of Paul's words. My view is that good, acceptable, and perfect aren't three different levels of God's will, they're rather three different descriptions of God's will. That, that is, those things that God wants for us are those things that are good and acceptable and perfect. All descriptions of God's will for us, that we choose things that are good and acceptable and perfect, describing the will of God. Not that there's different rings. We'll talk more about finding God's will and finding what's good, acceptable, and, and perfect. We're just naming some things that I believe are misconceptions, okay? So let's move from misconceptions, like the sense of peace means I'm on the right track, and the target idea of God's will. Let's leave those things to the side now, and let's go to the Bible and say, well, what can we affirm about God's will and finding God's will in decision-making, Okay, affirmations about us from our point of view. Okay, first thing, first affirmation is we are free. Affirmation number one is we are free. And I I just mean that God has given Christians a remarkable degree of freedom in decision making. Two examples. First Corinthians 7, um, Paul says that we have a lot of freedom in marriage. This is what he writes. Freedom in marriage, okay? Example number one of how we're free, freedom in marriage. Paul's words, a wife is bound to her husband as long as he lives, but if her husband dies, she is free to be married to whomever she wishes, only in the Lord. Whomever. Large degree of freedom there. 
free to marry whomever she wishes, only in the Lord. Example number two is the freedom that we have in worship. You can look through the the New Testament for a long time and find very little about just how we're supposed to worship God, like what we do when we gather to worship, and especially when you compare it to what we find in the Old Testament where there are all these guidelines for worship, really serious guidelines, like if you violate these guidelines that death will happen and does happen. And then in the New Testament, there's all this freedom. There's a lack of specific forms about what to do. There's some general guidelines, but there's a lack of forms in terms of what we're supposed to do. There's an exhortation to meet. You've got to meet together. That's Hebrews 10. But beyond that, there's this huge degree of freedom. So here's what I want to say about these two examples. Think about how big marriage and worship are. Like those subjects, like who you marry and the way you worship God, okay? Think about how big those subjects are. And if God has given us such a large degree of freedom in those huge areas, think about the freedom we must have in areas that aren't as big. Maybe things that relate to our job or to our family or anything below like marriage and worship, right? So, so we, we see this large degree of freedom, and I hope that some of you this morning, that the takeaway for you will be realizing that you have a larger degree of freedom in your decision-making process than maybe you thought you had. If you've been thinking that you really need to narrow it down and find exactly what God wants you to do, I, I feel like for some of you, I hope that you just feel more free. Affirmation number one is that we're free. Affirmation number two is that we are bound. We are bound. We're free, but we're also bound. We're bound by God's moral law. What does that mean? It means that our freedom in decision-making does not extend so far as to allow for sinful choices. Romans 6. How can we who died to sin still live in it? And in John 14, we learn that we can't claim to love God without keeping his commandments. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. So God's moral law is a fence around our decisions. So when considering our so-called free choices, one question for a Christian to ask is, what are the consequences of my decision for others? A Christian is bound by the law of love. What's this going to mean for other people in my life if I choose this? Just like I, I hoped that some this morning would come away with a, maybe a larger view of how much freedom they have in their decision, I hope that others will come away with a kind of opposite feeling. That your realization will be a greater awareness of the restrictions that God has placed on decision-making. Only those things that are acceptable morally and that reflect love and concern for others are godly choices. If our decisions don't take into account our obligations to live according to the word of Christ 
and according to the law of love, then we certainly are outside of God's will. So, affirmations about us regarding decisions. Number one, we're free. In a sense, we're free. Number two, we're bound. And affirmation number three is that we are guided. We're free, we're bound, but thirdly, we're also guided. Let's say that um, you're trying to make a particular decision and uh, you've taken into account that, okay, God's given me a degree of freedom. I hear the pastor saying that the Bible allows for a degree of freedom. Also, I understand that, yes, I'm bound morally by the law of love. I understand that. But you may just still have a number of good options out there and wonder, okay, well, is there any guidance at all? Does God care at all about how I make this decision because I want to seek him? So I would say yes. This is affirmation number three. We are free, we're bound, but we're also guided. And here's where we get to talk about the Holy Spirit. Before we talk about the coming of the Holy Spirit, just think back to the Old Testament and think about how people made decisions. How did God's people make decisions under the Old Covenant? Think about some of the things that we see Sometimes they were consulting a prophet to get God's mind on something. Other times they did something like casting lots before God to see what God wanted them to do. Casting lots is kind of like drawing straws or rolling dice. We um, see some other things that people do to get God's mind in a particular matter. But what I'm saying is that looking back at the Old Testament and some of the maybe strange ways that they um, used to find God's will, all of that comes to an end in the book of Acts. Okay. Think about what we see happen right away in Acts 1 when the disciples have a decision to make. They've got a real important decision to make because Judas is out. He's gone. And they've got to find someone to take Judas' place. And they've got two qualified candidates. How are they going to choose between those two? Same credentials. How are they going to decide who gets the role? And what do they do? Well, we read that they cast lots. And a man named Matthias is chosen. So, hey, wait a minute. We flip the pages to the New Testament. They're still casting lots. What's going on? I thought we turned the page. Like, new paradigm. Immediately after that, immediately after that, the very next thing that happens is the coming of the Holy Spirit. And after that, after the Holy Spirit comes, we never read again about anything like casting lots. There's just this thunderous silence through the whole rest of the New Testament. It just goes away because the Holy Spirit has come. Now, that is an argument from silence to say that, well, casting lots is out because we never see it again, right? But I would say that, it's, that the silence, like I said, is thunderous. That with the coming of the Holy Spirit, the things, doing things like the casting of lots has come to an end. And as an example, um, just remember that the next time that the church has a decision to make about people to appoint to a decision or to a position, rather than cast lots, this is Acts 6, when they have to choose deacons, instead of like saying, well, let's just roll some dice and figure out who we should pick. No, they go to the church, right? Everyone who's filled with the Holy Spirit, and they say, choose from among yourselves, men to fill this position, right? The decision-making process is a difference. (laughs) 
The main point here is that in our decision-making, thinking about the decisions that we're making now, we should place full faith and trust in the Holy Spirit. That's my argument. Full faith and trust in the Holy Spirit to guide you to your decision. And I know that not everyone will agree with this, and I, I might be stepping on some toes here, but it is my view that it really is not appropriate for a Christian to do any, anything like requesting a physical sign from God or some kind of putting God to the test in a certain way, to, to ask for a physical demonstration from God to decide what to do. I just don't think that's the direction that the New Testament points us in. There is a famous instance in the Old Testament of finding God's will through doing some physical kind of thing. Do you remember the story of Gideon? And um, Gideon lays out the fleece because he's trying to make sure of the decision that God wants him to make. And I'm not going to go into all the details of that story. Um, But I know Christians who have done things like this before. They've got a big decision in front of them, and so they do something that they call, like, I'm putting out a fleece, like I'm waiting for this sign from God. Um, I know someone that uh, was trying to make a decision, and he decided that I'm going to go for a walk, and if if I see a cat, that means God wants me to do this, and if I don't, then God wants me to do this. True story. And um, I don't think these kinds of things are appropriate anymore. I I really don't think even that Gideon did a noble thing by laying out the fleece. I think a a Christian who asks for a sign from God today would look back probably at the account of Gideon and say, okay, well, isn't this okay because Gideon did it? And my argument would be, no, just because Gideon didn't did it, that doesn't mean that it was a noble or good thing. All kinds of people in the Old Testament do things that we would not call good or noble. And they're not explicitly rebuked, but we could still look at it and say, I'm not sure that was a a full of faith decision. I'm just going to say, Gideon had already heard. He saw a messenger, like he saw God come to him and tell him what was going to happen. And he also got a sign. He had both of those things. And with the setting out of the fleece, which he did later, he just wanted to see with his eyes one more time to try to make absolutely certain that this is what God wanted him to do, even though God had already told him all those things and already promised what was going to happen. All I'm saying is that what Gideon did was not a demonstration of faith. He did not believe the word that had already come to him. I would call what he did the opposite of faith. Just... I would call it a grasping for certainty. And look, the whole tenor of Scripture leads us to a place of trusting God. Have faith in God. That's the, way, that's the place that all of Scripture leads us, is to a point of faith. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And I would say, in decision-making, the goal is not certainty, but the goal is faith. Arriving at a place of trust in God. Okay, you may not find that argument convincing. That's okay. 
It's okay. You don't, you don't have to. That's just my view. And just know if you've done something like setting out a fleece or asking for a physical sign, I'm not saying that you were wrong. I could be wrong. And I think the great comfort in all of it is that even if we call what Gideon did bad or wrong, God was still so gracious that he showed him the sign he was looking for. God's grace just covered it all. Even if what he did was wrong, God covered the whole thing with grace. And he does that for us. That even if your process for making the decision is not perfect and isn't exactly according to what God wants you to do, he's so gracious that I trust that he will lead you in the right direction if you are seeking him. So the big question then is regarding the Holy Spirit, right? So we're talking about affirmations about us and decision-making, how we're free in a sense, we're bound in a sense, but we're guided by the Holy Spirit, not casting lots, but the Holy Spirit. How do we really know what the Holy Spirit is saying? Where can we look to find the guidance of the Spirit? We know we can find the Spirit in these three places, okay? So you're leaning in, you're fellowshipping with the Holy Spirit, trying to decide what to do, right? Three, we know we can find the Holy Spirit in these three places. First of all, of course, inside of us, indwelling us as believers. Holy Spirit will be in you. You're asking the Holy Spirit for help, asking the Holy Spirit for guidance. This is where I I say that prayer comes into the equation. We're going to God, we're asking for guidance, We're allowing the Holy Spirit to search our heart, to ask us hard questions like, why do you really want this job? Or why do you really want to be part of the church plant team? What are are your motives in seeking this? Are they pure motives? And allow the Spirit to open up places of sin or pride in your life as you're thinking through the decision, right? We know we can find the Holy Spirit inside of us. Also, secondly, we know the Holy Spirit indwells other believers, so we can seek the Holy Spirit's guidance through other believers. Tell them the decision we have in front of us. Say, what do you think? What what do you think God would have me do? I want to tell you about um, some friends Molly and I have named Toby and Sonia. Toby and Sonia, uh, they've actually served as a, like a mentoring role in our, in our life while I was in seminary. Um, good friends of ours. Uh, Toby's a pastor. He pastors in Ohio. Big San Antonio Spurs fan, okay? Um, his wife is a Spanish teacher. Wonderful couple, mature couple. Here's what they told us, you know, in a, in a mentorship context. They said, regarding decision-making, like in our marriage, here's how, here's how we approach it, okay? So if you like this, so it's not attributable to me or Molly. If you like this, this is the Toby and Sonia plan, all right? Here's what they say. We believe that if the Holy Spirit leads one of us in a certain direction, he will lead both of us in that direction. So if we arrive at a point where one of us feels led to do this, but the other one is not there, then we're not doing that. We're placing so much trust and confidence in the Holy Spirit. We believe that if he is leading one of us in a godly direction, he will necessarily lead the other one in the same direction. In other words, he won't lead one of us where he is not leading the other. I really like that. I like it because it places so much confidence in the Holy Spirit. And I commend that to you. 
if you're wrestling with something as a couple, to just trust and say to the Holy Spirit, if this is of God, lead us both in the same direction. We don't believe that the Holy Spirit would lead two believers in two different directions, especially in the context of marriage, maybe outside of marriage, but in the oneness of marriage. We can find the Holy Spirit in other believers, of course. That's the second place, right? Within us, other believers. And, of course, we find the Holy Spirit in the Scriptures. This is the Spirit-inspired Word of God, which will never lead us in the wrong direction. So if you're trying to make a decision, make sure that you're in the Word, that you're feeding on the Word regularly. The the reason that I commend that to you is because I believe that through reading the Word and taking it in, that God shapes our desires as we're in the Word, that He is shaping our hearts and causing us to desire different things, beautiful things, noble things. And that God will then use those new creation desires as part of the decision-making process so that we actually want what God wants us to want. Because our desires have been reshaped and reformed by the Holy Spirit-inspired word, okay? We can find the Holy Spirit within us, in other believers, find the Holy Spirit in the Word. So those are three affirmations about us. I hope those things are helpful as you think about your decision-making process, that we're free, we're bound, but we're also guided. And lastly, three affirmations um, about God. These are, these are very brief. Thinking about how God feels and how he views our decisions. First of all, this is such a comfort. His sovereign will is not frustrated by my decision-making process. His sovereign will is not frustrated by our decisions. His sovereign will is revealed by our decisions. Sometimes we make wrong decisions. I've made wrong decisions. You have made wrong decisions. We make sinful decisions We see that happen all the way through Scripture. Two things about wrong decisions. First of all, they have consequences. Wrong decisions, sinful decisions will have consequences for us. We're responsible for that before God. Secondly is that for the Christian, even those wrong, sinful decisions do not nullify God's promise to work all things for good in the life of the believer. that we are still in Christ, our lives are still covered with grace, and God is always working for the good of his people, even in our wrong, sinful decisions. God's sovereign will is not frustrated by our decisions. So thankful for that. Second thing, affirmations about God regarding our decisions. Second affirmation about him is that his interest is in knowing us in relationship. That's, God, that's God's overriding concern and love for us, is that he wants to know us in relationship. Some of you will know the name Haddon Robinson. He um, was a longtime and famous trainer of preachers um, at Dallas Seminary and at Gordon-Conwell. This is what Haddon Robinson said. Quote, God is much more concerned about what we are than where we are and much more concerned about why we decide to do such and such than what we decide to do. 
I'll say that one more time. God is much more concerned about what we are than where we are. And much more concerned about why we decide to do a certain thing rather than what we do. The why over the what. And as a father of children, I I would just say that personally that rings true. That I am more concerned about what our children are rather than where they decide to be geographically. And why they do what they do more so than what they do. It's not to say that God doesn't care about what decision that we make or what the end product is. You know, he does care about that. He's prepared the end product. He's prepared good works that we should walk in them. He won't let us miss those good works. But he's always about the work of revealing himself to us in relationship. That is is what the whole New Testament points toward. Gospel of John, eternal life is knowing God. First John, about fellowship with the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's all relational, relational business with God. And as we wrestle through decision-making with God, we do all this wrestling with him, and we're seeking him, and we're seeking him, and talking, and listening. We're, what are we doing? We're participating in relationship. Knowing him better. And that's God's stated goal and desire for us. So that's the second thing. His interest is knowing us in relationship. And then here's the last thing, and this is the very last thing, and then end of, end of message. Remember that faith pleases him. Faith pleases him. That's Hebrews 10. Faith commends us to God. In the end, God's desire is that we walk with him by faith. So taking into account all of what we've talked about, Make the best decision that you can by faith. If you make the best decision that you can by faith in God, faith in the Holy Spirit, that kind of heart, that kind of decision-making process will please God. If you honor his word, if you honor the Holy Spirit, if you honor the needs of others, in your decision-making process. You will please God. And in the end, um, pleasing God is what we want to do, isn't it? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, I I pray over these dear brothers and sisters. Um, I pray over myself. We submit our decisions to you. Um, I pray especially uh, for the person listening that really does have something huge in front of them right now and really wants to do the right thing whether it's marriage, job, um, family, can be so hard, Father, so hard to know what is the right thing. So many good options present themselves and just a lot of unknowns. And so we say together in this moment um, that we believe your word and we want to put our full faith and trust in the Holy Spirit. And so we, we ask for Holy Spirit guidance that we would walk with you by faith. We love you. Thank you for the message from the word today and just how it guides us um, in life. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen.